Hi everyone, my name's Eveling and welcome to this month's Mercia Auditing and Accounting Podcast. Today we're going to take a look at the FRC's proposed revisions to the ethical standard for auditors. Now before we dive into the detail in a great amount of focus, I'm just going to give you some key dates to bear in mind. So the revisions to ethical standards were published um, over just over a month ago as I sit here today, so in August 2023. The proposed revisions are due to be effective for periods commencing on or after the 15th of December 2024. So once published as final, we will hopefully have a year or so's lead time before these actually take effect. And the consultation is currently open until the 31st of October 2023. So again, as I sit here today, we've got six weeks or so uh, to get some feedback into the FRC. So if there are any areas that are run through today and you think that's particularly contentious, controversial, don't like, you've got a little bit of time to submit a consultation response and file that with the FRC. Now, again, before we we dive into the changes en masse, I think it's worthwhile getting the background and the context for why the FRC have made these proposed revisions. First off, there are some changes to the IESBA International Code of Ethics, so we want to make sure that we've got consistency between that wider code of ethics. It's that that underpins, say, the ICAW's code of ethics for general accounting services. So we need to make sure we've got some broad consistency there for any changes flushing through that uh, set of standards. However, I think the more interesting one and probably the more salient and relevant reason that's been cited for these changes is the FRC appointing to findings from their inspections and enforcement cases and probably similar findings that either the ICAW, ACCA, ICAS and, and other competent authorities have as well. That then gives a useful backdrop to set the scene for some of the detailed changes I'll, I'll run through. Now, without giving the game away before I dive into those changes, from, from my perspective, and I'm going to choose my words carefully here, the changes I'll run through shouldn't, and I'll, I'll emphasise the word shouldn't, have any major changes for auditors out there. Now, the difficulty and challenge will be, clearly based upon the findings that the FRC have, have found and, and are citing, there clearly are areas that they found and maybe felt the rules and the guidance set out the ethical standard are maybe a little bit grey, maybe too grey when they thought they were black. So we're trying to really grasp those and give absolute clarity as to what isn't allowed, what is allowed, and just make sure we're staying sort of within those boundaries there. So with that context in mind, let's dive in, work through each section of the ethical standard in turn and see what the changes are. So we dive in to section one then, so the general requirements and guidance, and the main changes in this area relate to breaches of the ethical standard. Now, if I touch on a couple of the wider changes here first, so we've got to bear in mind that third party test when we're considering responses, and the third party test is something that I'll keep mentioning and coming back to over the course of this session, so, uh, so bear that in mind. We've also got a narrowing of the scope of inadvertent breaches, so i.e. much less will be caught by that definition to try and make sure that as auditors, we are giving breaches the full care and attention that they deserve. There are some enhanced requirements for communicating with those charged with governance regarding breaches with the ethical standard. However, the main change that I wanted to flag, and hopefully it's it's common sense, so this won't be, won't catch many of you out, 
But where you have had a breach, bear in mind there is a currently a biannual requirement to report those. So on a, on a twice yearly basis, we should be reporting any breaches we've we've had to our competent authority. The proposed revisions are going to be well, actually for serious breaches, we probably need to accelerate that that self confession and do that effectively as soon as we're aware of the breach and, and we've had time, a little bit of time to digest it and we've concluded it is a significant breach, a serious breach, we ought to be reporting that there and then and not waiting for that biannual period. Again, I'd, I'd hope that most of you are doing this anyway, acknowledging that sort of honesty is the best policy, the more proactive you can be in discussing the issue with the competent authority. Yes, you might not like the answer, but it will get the situation resolved much quicker and generally probably more favourably with that sort of self-confession proactively uh, being done. But clearly there are some firms out there that will sit on an issue, wait until they're the last moment to report, and the FRC clearly not liking that. So do be mindful of, even now, if there's something that crops up and you need to, to self-confess to, to report that serious breach, sort of get that in with your competent authority as soon as possible. There are a couple of other minor wording modifications throughout section one. I'm not going to dwell on those in, in too much detail today, but do have a read through just in case there are any minor modifications there that, that could uh, be catching you out currently. Next off then, if we move on to section two. So here we're thinking about financial, business, employment and personal relationships that could be at play with our audit clients. First off, we're going to have a think about financial relationships. So again, this is another area where that third party test has been emphasised. And again, for clarity, that, that emphasis of the third party test is something that we saw come through in the 2019 revisions to the ethical standard. But now we're seeing it be more seeing it be more specifically emphasised to specific areas. So here, where we have financial relationships with our clients, there's now a more explicit requirement to think about, okay, what does the layperson on the street think about this? Would they perceive a threat to independence? And, and really make sure we're, we're thinking about that proactively. There is also an expansion of who the financial relationship with the firm sits with in respect of your client. Now, before it was generally somebody who was involved on the engagement team or a covered person. Now we've got a broader remit that they generally, particularly if they're a senior uh, team member, could or a senior staff member couldn't be in the same office or the same business unit as that engagement and again i think hopefully common sense principle there is if you've got relatively close proximity to somebody with a financial relationship you really ought to question that is it appropriate that either they continue to hold that financial relationship or is it appropriate that we continue to hold the audit engagement and again hopefully that shouldn't be catching people out but I dare say in some instances, it probably will. Uh, secondly, in this area, we've also got a broader uh, definition of financial interest held as a trustee. Historically, the explicit requirements were generally linking it to an individual holding that trustee role. Now it's been expended to cover the firm as a whole. So just bear that in mind as well, if your firm does often hold those trusteeships. Next, we'll move on and have a look at section three. So here we're thinking about long association with your audit clients or entities relevant to that engagement. Now, one that I'll touch on quite generally, only relevant for, for listed and PI um, entity auditors out there, there is now a prohibitation from extending their period of office 
if they have already rotated off the engagement previously. So let's say they've already spent a chunk of time on the engagement, rotated off. Once they've served their cooling off period, their next transfer involvement can only be that that minimum, well, the maximum sorry, period that is defined in the standard of, of five years. They, they don't really have any wiggle room to extend beyond that. More generally, um, for all audit engagements, so talking now about non-PI, sort of probably relevant for most of you out there, there is some clarity on the guidance for periods of absence. So let's say as an engagement partner, you've been on maternity leave, you've been on long-term sick leave, things like that. There is now some further guidance in there for how you would treat that in terms of assessing your period of association and then how you might need to consider that from a rotational perspective. So again, hope for a bit of clarity there that could be helpful for some of you. Next, we're going to move on to section four. So here we're looking at fees, remuneration, um, evaluation policies, gifts and hospitality and litigation. Um, the main change here that I want to flag, and again, hopefully it's something that we should all be doing anyway, but we now have to think about the beneficial owner or controlling party of our audit client and then think about what sits under that slightly larger umbrella when we're considering a fee dependence threat, not just looking at either the client or say the statutory group of entities in isolation. So here, if we think about an example, let's say we've got an individual who is the owner of five entities and we order each of those entities or certainly provide services to each of those entities. We have to think about our fees that we generate from that individual and all the entities that they own, not just that individual in isolation and each of the entities in isolation. Now, again, I'd, I'd hope we were all doing this anyway, but just to clarify, that is going to be codified in and, and uh, be a requirement of the ethical standards going forwards. More generally, there is a removal of the definition of contingent fee, but really just to stress and emphasize, the contingent fee rules are very much still in place. It's only the definition that has been removed to try and cut down the text in the standard. So for clarity, if it's an audit client, you cannot provide either audit or non-audit services to that client on a contingent fee basis. So be really, really cautious if you're thinking about a contingent fee and that could be for an audit client. Doesn't matter the service, no contingent fees. Now we're going to move on and think about non-audit services and the revisions that we see in section five. Again, first off, I'll touch on one that may only have sort of a limited impact for, for those of you listening today. So this is where for public interest entities, so if you're a PI auditor, you would now have to think about IXBRL tagging within the scope of that non-audit services cap that you have to think about for your PI clients. If I generalize now and think about other changes that would be relevant for all audit engagements, a few I'll run through quite quickly, and then a couple I want to look at in a little bit more detail. So first off, there is some clarity on internal audit services. And again, just to stress, they were quite strongly prohibited under the previous revisions. We now have an expanded definition of internal audit services, just to make sure we're not falling into what was previously any areas of grey, codifying those as now being absolute black from an audit and non-audit services perspective. There is also clarity on acting as general counsel or solicitor, and that would now include where the amounts concerned are immaterial to the financial statement. So really just trying to clarify that you probably shouldn't be acting in that role uh, for an audit client. 
there is an expansion of the guidance for what will be classified as recruitment and remuneration services. So again, if, if that's a line of, of service that you provide to your audit clients, again, do be careful that you're not straying too far there. Again, quite a, a tight remit of, of what would and wouldn't be allowed within the area of services. And then the final one I'll just touch on quickly is corporate finance services. And that's now been expanded to cover giving advice around debts and other financial instruments and things like that. So again, if, if you are providing corporate finance services to an audit client, again, really be careful with those areas of the ethical standard to check that you understand the scope of the work you're doing and that isn't going to be explicitly prohibited. Now, if I move on, so still within Section 5, but if I think about a couple of specific areas of non-audit services where we've seen some revisions in a little bit more detail. First off, let's think about tax. So here, again, probably linked to those changes that we saw in Section 4, we've got clarity that we would need to think about tax services being provided to the individuals who are the majority owners of an unlisted entity. We need to think about what that means on, on the bearing for our independence um, as well. Again, I hope this next change doesn't catch anybody out. But for clarity, there's now confirmation that um, uh, current tax computations and deferred tax computations would give rise to a self-interest threat. I think on most files I review, certainly the current tax element is, is generally well dealt with. I think now just be really careful that we are thinking about what the accountancy firm's role might be in helping the client determine deferred tax and we would need to effectively ring fence that as a service that gives rise to a self-review threat and making sure we're, we're safeguarding that um, appropriately. More broadly in the tax remit, there is clarity and, and to, to almost remind us that we cannot be acting as an advocate for our clients, say in a tax investigation or a, a tax inquiry. What it does go on to say is that if that is, say, the provision of information to the tax authorities, even potentially explaining the technical basis for a return submitted or advising the client in terms of why you maybe got them to a tax return position that they did, that will probably be okay. I think in that regard, just make sure that your discussions either with the tax authority or your client are very facts-based in terms of this is what we did and why, but you probably shouldn't be going much beyond that. If it is then blurring the lines and moving into that advocate role, you should be stepping away from that and, and keeping well clear. The next non-audit service where we've seen some modification that I just wanted to emphasize with a little bit more detail is the provision of IT services. Again, this is something that was strengthened um, under the previous version of the ethical standard. We've now got um, a much more detailed list of what those IT services would entail that are prohibited. Whilst I'm not going to read that list out sort of in verbatim in detail, but we've got clarity that would cover things like hosting um, a software system, the storing of data, providing backup or uh, disaster recovery services, maintenance of the client system. So all of those types of services would be caught by that um, prohibition. So if you have any type of sort of IT provision service being provided to your audit clients, I would think long and hard if that is something that you should be providing to them and if that causes um, an issue for your, for your audit clients. There is a clarity, and again, hopefully th this should be sort of pretty self-explanatory, but the revisions do go on to just confirm that if, say, the, the receipt of data or handling of data from a client is to enable you to perform the audit or to provide other permitted services, then that is fine. 
I think I'd be careful around not trying to use that as a loophole for maintaining, say, their IT system because you needed the data anyway to provide the services for them. I think it is purely you can obtain data from their systems to provide services, but that doesn't give you an excuse to, say, host a platform for them. So just be, be really, really cautious there. So that wraps up sort of the changes that we we see to the um, ethical standard that the FRC would like to introduce. But just before I wrap up on the session, it's probably a good opportunity just to give a reminder in terms of some of the more significant and, and maybe two recurring issues that we see on our file reviews that relate to the ethical standard. So the first one, I think, just be mindful around long association threats and typically making sure that we've fully safeguarded those got those safeguards documented and fully communicated with the client. Again, this now uh, probably has a bit more clarity with some of the changes that have been proposed, but one of the not that common, but often quite significant um, failures that we found on an audit file is where maybe another line of service has been engaged by the client to perform some non-audit work, but the auditor, say the, the RI on that job has been notified far too late in the process and therefore, there is maybe a breach of, of the standard that the, the RI hasn't been notified of soon enough to prevent it from happening. So really do make sure that within your firms, you have open lines of communication. There is full visibility for who your audit clients are, what other work might the firm as a whole be wanting to engage that client with, and then make sure there is proactive conversation for are we wanting to preserve the audit services or do we want to pursue non-audit services where there is potentially a choice to be made between the two of those? And then the third one I just wanted to emphasize, and again, I've touched on this a couple of times already, is we're still not seeing that consideration of the third party test coming through on audit file documentation. And I think we're still maybe seeing documentation centered around, we've considered it as the firm, we're okay with it, we've discussed it with the client, the client's okay with it. Just be mindful that the, the requirements of the ethical standard are now much, much broader than that. And it really, okay, you have to sort of park yours and the client's considerations at the door and really take account of what does that lay person on the street think? Would they be raising an eyebrow for the potential services or relationships that you have with, with your clients? And if so, really think about, okay, how can we safeguard those sufficiently that we can get those third-party eyebrows sort of back down to normal level? Or might we have to walk away from the audit engagement? And again, I'd really encourage you all to think about that documentation on your audit file to show that that thought process has been fully considered, documented, and, and thought through. That's everything then that I wanted to cover um, in the session this afternoon. Again, just to to reiterate um, where we're at, I hope that those changes that I've run through don't necessarily give any causes for concern for you. It should hopefully be clarifying what you're already doing anyway. But if there is anything that I've mentioned that does um, sort of raise a red flag, potentially to get the alarm bells ringing, really encourage you to be proactive to discuss that with your competent authority. Again, honesty is the best policy. The more proactive you can be in discussing potential issues with them, it's not to say it won't land you in hot water, but it will hopefully be relatively lukewarm water rather than boiling water. So really, really do be proactive in, in flagging any issues that you have with your competent authority. We'll be looking at this in a little bit more detail and other topical issues in our autumn um, ANA program. Um, so there's a number of CPD events running either in person 
or over Mercy Alive. So please do get yourselves booked on to uh, one of those. Um, I hope you found this session useful and look forward to either speaking to you again on another podcast or on one of our CPD sessions. Thank you for listening to the Mercia podcast. For more information on this topic, please visit mercia-group.com.